The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I'm going to read that one more time from the beginning. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. Father, I pray right now, have your way. Speak to your people like you spoke to me. Father, we need you. Our city needs you. Our state needs you. Our country needs you. Father, be with Dallas right now. Be with Louisiana, Minnesota, New York, Florida, Carolina, Lord God, San Bernardino, the different happenings that have been taking place in our country that has brought fear to this country. But here this morning I say, no more. Get the fear out in Jesus' mighty name. Jesus' name. We all said it? Amen. Go ahead and be seated here this morning. Hallelujah. In light of everything that has been happening this past week, today I want to speak to you with the understanding of knowing that it is both mourning and even regrouping. It is a time of reflecting and a time of strengthening. What our country needs right now more than ever is not the remedy that is continuing on to incite even more hatred and more division. But right now we need is the body of Christ to take our spiritual authority over God's people. This is a time where we as God's people need to share the light more than ever before that there is an opportunity where darkness is seeming to gloom over where I'm telling you where, where we as Christians need to take our place and share and spread the light. Can I hear an amen? We need to share the light of Christ. This is the perfect opportunity. I want to tell you here this morning, I had a totally different message that I was going to preach, and I'll probably speak it next week. But here this morning, God put and pressed it upon my heart and said, man, how do we handle situations that take place such as this? If you don't know what's going on, then I don't know what rock you've been under. Or I know that this is victory hour, should I say, what rock you've been smoking I know it. I acknowledge it. I'm not blind to the fact. I don't want to turn a deaf ear. But I believe more than ever, the loudest voice that should be shouting is the Christians. Listen to me. This is very important. There's a whole lot of organizations, a lot of different happenings and different voices that are rising up and saying, well, this is more important. No, well, this should be important, and this should be important. Listen, my friend, there is no more importance than what happens after you die. And if you don't understand that, you're going to miss what is happening in front of you right now. You're going to think, oh, th this is what's happening, and so we got to remedy it this way. I want you to know something. This has been going on for decades. It's been going on for a long time. I spoke with my, my grandfather uh, uh, about some of this stuff that was taking place, and even when they came over to this country. Did you know that they used to beat Mexicans for speaking Spanish? You could not speak Spanish. They used to beat them. Beat it out because they figured if you're going to be here, we're going to beat the Mexican out of you. True story. This is true stuff. This kind of stuff has been happening. It's not new. See, for many of us, it's, it's inciting something and saying, man. And no, you're, you, you may have from a new perspective as yourself, but I want you to know this stuff has been going on. Not been going on in our country. This stuff has been going on since the Bible times. Even longer. And the thread of emotion that I hear and I feel when I talk to so many people in and out, because I want you to know something, this past week has been a roller coaster of emotions, has it not? A roller coaster of emotions. I feel this way, and oh, and then this happens the moment we get over this shooting, then that shooting, oh my gosh, and then we get over that shooting, then somebody comes over here, and oh, that shooting again, and it even bring, brings back a remembrance of emotions that just took place a month ago. 
oh man, this. And even for some of you, probably the, the, you have been involved in shootings and you've been involved in things that you see on the television and it even brings up more emotions. Oh, and those feelings that you have. And the thread of feeling of emotion that I hear when I talk to so many people, both physically and also on the social network when I talk to them, there is one emotion that is throughout every culture, and that emotion is fear. People are scared. What about me? How am I going to live? What's going on? Do I have to look over my shoulder? Some of you know what that's like to have to walk out of your house and always look over your shoulder. Something had been done wrong. But now we're living in a society where you didn't do anything wrong and you still got to look over your shoulder. Didn't even do anything. See, so I'm telling you, this, has been hap- this, this is not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. And until we fully understand what is in front of our door, we're not going to know how to handle it. And see, this, this spirit of fear, how is this spirit and how is this emotion so strong, so powerful? What makes this fear so deadly? As we study this scripture here in 1 John chapter 4, the word fear in the Greek, I want to say this correctly, is phobiomai, phobiomai. And it means to be frightened in the sense of alarm, fright, or even terror. The fear, that's actually where we get our word Phobia, where we get the word phobia. Some of you, when I say phobia, I'm scared of spiders. Some of you, oh, I'm scared of this, I'm scared of that. But this fear is the phobia that controls you, that controls you in a sense out of terror, out of terror. See, every human being worries about the problem of pain and even the punishment of torture. Every one of us, matter of fact, many of us, when we tell you, oh, you know what, you should go see a doctor, one of the first things, I ain't going to no doctor. Why? Because I'm scared of what they're going to tell me. Something could be wrong with me. We live in a society, these are, these are actual TV shows. There's a TV show, I don't know if you knew this, but it's called How to Survive the End of the World. It's a TV show, I think it's on Discovery. There's another TV show called Doomsday Preppers where all they do is they prepare for the end of the world. That's how they live. They live in a state of fear every day. That's what it's all about. Now, you may think, well, that can't be me. But my friend, if you are not careful when certain things happen, you can find yourself living out of fear rather than out of faith. See, these shows are all to prepare you about the end. But one thing I want you to know, I, I just want you to know this, this is a little FYI, my, my life ended the day I gave it to Christ. My life has been over. I, I've been dead in my transgressions since I gave it to Christ. I am a new man in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. So listen, the old thing, the old ways, I've been dead. You, you want to put an RIP? Put an RIP the day I got saved. That's where you can put the tombstone at because what I am doing now, I have been given a new life. I am a new creation. And so all I'm doing right now is I'm just breathing my promise. That's all I'm really doing because what was is over. I'm just waiting till I breathe this last breath so I can get a new breath when I see my Savior face to face. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand of praise here this morning. The Bible says, though, but that fear will keep you living in a world of punishment all on its own, without no proprietor. This fear, the Bible says, needs to be cast out. And the one thing that the Word of God says that will cast out this fear is perfect love. Perfect love. And so as I began to study the scriptures, I said, where is there a place? Did this kind of happenings ever happen to Jesus? Not in the scriptures. I'm talking to Jesus himself. There's a story. You can turn with me there to John chapter 4. Not 1 John, but the book of John, the gospel of John. Chapter 4. And you will find here how even Jesus himself handled this fear, handled this. Now, there's a a long story, and I'll just kind of summarize it for you of what was happening and taking place. But in John chapter 4, the Bible says that Jesus, he had his disciples with him. And wherever Jesus took his disciples, he always wanted to teach them and show them a lesson. Why? Because one day he wasn't always going to be there with him, with them, excuse me. So 
he took them down to this place called Samaria. Matter of fact, it was called Sikar. It was even specific in Samaria. There is a place. If you are from here, you know that there is a city called Union City. But when you go in, there's a place called Dakota. Right? It's in there. If you're from Hayward, we have certain areas. That you, yeah, you can go to Hayward, but then it's different when you go to South Garden. You're going in there. So there may be Samaria, but then you go down even deeper and you get somewhere else. Matter of fact, you will find when you study the city of Sikar, the word Sikar means town of drunkards, where they were always getting drunk. Things were happening. And you'll see why exactly what I'm talking about. Turn to verse 7, John chapter 4, verse 7. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Then in verse 8, it says, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, really quickly, let me just set this stage of importance because I need you to understand something is that there was a great hatred between Samaritans and Jews. There was a big-time hatred. Matter of fact, that hatred goes so deep that if you go to the Middle East now, you will still find that same hatred. You can feel that oppression that is there because it's just been rooted. Matter of fact, I, I talked about it even a, a couple weeks ago, and you will find when you ask certain people and, and certain women or certain men when they grow up and, and, you, and you just kind of see whenever, like, you'll talk to a woman and, and they, they mention a, another man and go, oh, man, why do you? What's wrong? It's just a guy. Oh, I hate men. Why do you hate men? Well, because my mom hated men. Why does she hate men? Because her mom hated men. So do you even know why you hate men? I don't know. I just hate men. Whoa. What's been going on? That's the same thing that's been happening here. Why do you hate the Samaritans? Well, we just hate them. Well, well, why, why do you hate that race? Why do you hate that? Well, we just hate them. We, I've been grown up. That's how it's been. It's in, been inbred in me. It's been in my spirit. It's in there. It's kind of taken a toll. And so here, Jesus takes these men down to a place where Jews consider the Samaritans half-breeds. They're considered half-breeds. Now, this is very important. Jesus takes his disciples to Samaria where they're considered half-breeds. They're, they're kind of Jews, but they're not. They're not full Jews. Doesn't that kind of sound like some of us when we talk about, oh, you Puerto Rican? Oh, okay, you Puerto Rican. Oh, you, you Chilean? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you kind of say, like, well, you know. Oh, you Mexican? Yeah, but you got some Native American or Indian. Like, you can never be full anything, right? Just, that's just the way that we see it. Like, oh, you, you're African-American? Well, are you, you ever been to Africa? You're not African-American. You're American. You're the, like, no, you can never be full anything. And so the way the Jews seeing themselves, no, 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 we are pure. We are pure. If you talk to a Spaniard about a Mexican, they'll laugh at you. They don't, they don't speak Spanish. They speak Mexican. That's not Spanish. This is pure. How do you say it? Puro. España. I've been there. That's, that's exactly how they think. That's how they think. So, but, but if you talk to somebody here from America about a Mexican, and they're like, oh, no, you're not Mexican, you're Chicano. Okay, wait a second. This, in other words, this thing keeps going. See the cycle? It just keeps going here. It keeps going here. It keeps going there. So here we go. Jesus takes his disciples to Samaria. What were his disciples? Jewish. So if they're Jewish and he takes them to Samaria, it's about to go down. This, ain't so, this mix is not supposed to happen. There's not supposed to be this. The Jews are over here. Samaritans are over here. We don't mix with your kind. We don't talk with your kind. And we definitely don't eat with your kind. This was happening here. See, Jesus was trying to get them to understand that he was not going to be there forever. So he needed to transfer an anointing onto them before he left. He knew and understood something. He understood that carnal hearts could not see beyond carnal results. Listen to me. This is the, the, the depths of, of where we're at in the spiritual realm of what is taking place in America. If you have a carnal heart, you will only want to see carnal results. 
This exact same thing that was happening with the disciples. But Jesus said, no, I want you to understand something. That if we are going to get rid of this, what you need is perfect love. A love that goes beyond what you see on the outside. Even a love that goes beyond what you even feel on the inside. It goes beyond it all. There is something that is supernatural about the spirit of love. Love. Now, this is very important because whenever we say the word love, we have a, an experience or understanding of our own. When I say that word love, many of you all have different understandings of love. Because if I say that word love to many of you, it's a hurtful term. No, no, somebody told me they love me, but they never really did. I don't want to hear that word. So that's why even many of you, when you're growing up and your husband tells you or your wife tells you, I love you, you go, no, you don't. Why? Because you've had an experience with what you think love really is. This is what happened to the disciples. They didn't get it. So what did he do? He said, I'm going to show you love. Now, this is very important. There's three definitions for the word love, three terms. And if, you, if you've never written these down, you should write these down. This is very, very important. The first word for love in the scriptures is the word called eros, E-R-O-S, eros. It's a term indicating love or desire from the human side and romantic attachment with sexual overtones. However, the New Testament never uses this word eros for love. When you find the New Testament, this word eros is not used there. You will find this word eros a lot in the book of Solomon. Praise the Lord. That's the root word eros where we get the word erotica, erotic. That's where you get it from, and it is that term. The second term for love is philia, philia. This term indicates reasoning, discriminating att attachment founded in the conviction that its object is worthy of esteem or entitled to it on account of benefits bestowed. It emphasizes the intelligent element of love. It is used 14 times in the gospel. Philia, where we get the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Phileo, philia. That's what that term is, brotherly love. If you've ever been to Philadelphia, you would wonder, man, I don't really think they love me right here. It's been flipped around. Anybody ever visited Philadelphia? You ever been there before? Okay, a few, a few of you have. You ever walk down the street in Philadelphia? You just get some dirty looks. I just walk down. I don't even know anybody. See, somehow, some way, the spirit has flipped around their exact meaning. They were never intended to be a city of hatred, a city of bitterness. It was always supposed to be phileo, phileo, brotherly love. The third one is agape, agape. This term is used more often in the Gospels than any other for love. It signifies primarily a voluntary, active, spiritual affection. The love that links God and man and unites soul and soul in the divine communion. This agape love unites soul and soul. Now remember, a couple weeks ago, if you were here, I talked about how we are engineered, right? God engineered us and made us up of three parts. Right? The first one is the spirit. That's how God sees us. The second one is the soul. That's how we see us. And the third one is the body. That's how others see us. So this agape love is the kind of love that unites an understanding of how we see ourselves. And if we see ourselves beaten down, we will agree with others who have been beaten down. Oh, you're of this? Yeah, me too. Me too. And see that? If you have never been, have you ever been to a, a, a baseball game? And in a baseball game, a lot of times, or even a football game, it happens a lot of times in football. In a football game, I've never been to a soccer game, but you, for those of you that have been, you'll kind of understand what I'm saying. They call this thing the mob mentality. Have you ever been there before? And the mob mentality is this. It happens a lot of times when there's large gatherings. Football, I've seen it personally in football. That's why I could say that. So I've been to the football games. So you've been there, you know, there's... Thousands of people, 70,000 people, and you're there, and I remember, you know, I'm, I'm wearing my Niner jersey. All right, we're having a good time. But somebody who's wearing another jersey, just for whatever reason, 
You could just be standing there, hey, all right, high-fiving each other, yeah, yeah. But then you see somebody of another kind, you go, what is this? I feel like I want to beat that man down. No reason. Do you know the man? No. You ever met him? Not at all. Do you know anything about him? Nope. Do you know his name? Mm-mm. Why do you want to beat him? I don't know. I just feel like I want to do something. And all of a sudden, it just comes in there. And then the, the, I've seen these guys, they just see somebody else, Raider fans, Niner fans. They go, man, I hate this guy. And then all of a sudden, you just see them start going at it. And then for whatever reason, somebody else looks and goes, well, I'm just going to start getting in on it too for no reason. They just want to get involved, get in there. And I've seen it with my own eyes where people come in. Why are you doing it? I don't know. I just feel like doing it too. Why? Because we've had our souls been beaten down together. And I want to protect to make sure that I can never be beaten down ever again. Come on, let's do this. No one can beat us. No one's going to happen. But you know what that is? That is punishment for living out of fear. When you're scared, you do certain things that you cannot objectively think of in the right way. Oh, let's just do it. I, I don't know. How, how are we going to do this? What's going to happen? And so in Matthew chapter 5, you could turn there as well. In verse 43, this is very important because this goes right to the story of what was taking place in Samaria. Because this is what Jesus was trying to get across to his disciples in Samaria. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, he said, You have heard it. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Just that scripture right there. You could break that down. That's a powerful scripture. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now listen to me. This is very important. Because when we say this word, we say this word perfect, and so we think of a standard that says, well, I can't do that. I'm never going to be perfect. The word perfect here does not mean sinlessness. It doesn't mean that. Because a lot of times, well, we think, well, I can't be perfect, so I'm just going to live like this. That's just the way that I am. No, that is not how you are. I don't believe that. I'm not going to take to that. Well, I'm from the hood. That's just a, you just got to take it like that. No. I don't believe that. Well, you don't know my background. You, you don't understand, man. Well, my dad did this, and I didn't have a dad, and I didn't have a No. I don't believe that. Just like I'm telling you, no, you need to tell your spirit, no. I'm not going to talk like that. I'm not going to react like that. See, what he was trying to get across here in Matthew chapter 5, he says the perfect love. The perfect love here, this word in the Greek is translated to teleos. It's the same word that shows up in the Hebrew that says that milk is for infants, but solid food is for the teleos. Solid food is for the mature. The ones who understand that are being perfected. You're not perfect, but you're growing. You're learning. You're getting it better and better every day. You're not reacting the way that you hated when you were growing up. Well, my dad did this to me. Did you like that? No, I hated it. Then why are you doing it? You become what you hate. Hated that. I wish you would have never done that to me. I wish you would have never told me that. Then why are you doing it? That's just the way that I am. No! You're being perfected. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Don't listen to the lies of the world. Don't listen to the mob mentality. Well, that's been happening, so I'm going to do that. So they're doing this, so I'm going to do that. No! God is perfecting you inside of his will, inside of his plan. You may not have it all together, but God is putting you together. And you are representing him as the light. You are a child of the Most High God. 
You're a child of the Most High God. You're not a child of that generation. Well, I grew up with that music. Well, I grew up on that movie. I, didn't, I grew up on that. Okay, stop all that growing up. Now it's time to grow up. That growing up only took you so far. That growing up only shared with you so much education. But don't say, that's it, I'm done. No, you're not done. Well, that's just the way that I am. No, you're not. Jesus understood this. He was trying to get them to understand. He says, grow up, therefore, as our heavenly Father has grown up. See, but many times we're stubborn to hang on to hatred. And we defy God's desire for us to grow up and become like him. See, my friend, I want you to understand something. This scripture right here is very important. It says, if you cannot love your enemy, there's a problem. There is a problem. There is a problem. Don't take my word for it. It's all up and down. I'll give you more scriptures. I can give you about 20 scriptures that give you back and forth on this subject of loving and understanding. See, this Samaritan woman, what Jesus was trying to get to, he wasn't trying to get to their body. He wasn't trying to get to their perception of their eyes. He was trying to get even beyond their soul to speak to their spirits. The disciples saw this happening, and it rocked their world. Jews didn't mix with half-breeds. But Jesus was perfect love in action. And he says, listen to me, even though we're not supposed to interact, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid to talk to somebody, to interact with somebody that you don't normally do. Whether it's skin color or growing up color, whether it's character, whether it's personality. Well, I wouldn't talk to her. I wouldn't talk to him. No, it says when you have a perfect love, you can cast out all fear, all fear. All fear. Now, I remember this growing up. My father taught me this, and he says, when you understand what perfect love is, it changes your whole perception of life. Because a lot of people say, well, the opposite of fear is faith. But actually, according to the scripture, the opposite of this fear is boldness. The opposite of fear is boldness. It gets you to a place that incites inside of you that speaks to the boldness in your spirit. Uh, Noel, come on up here. Can I use you real quick? Give Noel a hand real fast. Come on up here, Noel. Now, how you doing? You want to put your glasses right here? All right, put your pen right there. Okay, now, this is a fine man right here. This is an awesome man. He likes long walks down Schaefer Road. Midnight snacks. With the midnight Bible studies, amen? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I know he's single, amen. Okay. Hey, we got to get married somehow, amen? We got to get married. Well, no, he's a great man, right? Powerful man. He just, I mean, he looks good. He has great. Well, this was an analogy that my father taught me. Many of you uh, have seen this before, but if you haven't, it's a perfect understanding what it is for perfect love. Right? Perfect love does what? Cast out. Perfect love does what? Perfect love does what? When he saw the disciples fishing on one side of the boat, he said, cast your nets on the other side. Cast out. Whenever he saw them in the shallow, he said, cast out. Get out. Move out. Do what you got to do, but don't stay there. If you are living in a state of fear, cast out. But the only way to cast out is you got to have perfect love. Perfect love, perfect love, perfect love, perfect love. Okay, Noel, just hold yourself a little strong. You're a strong man. That's why I can use you. Right? Isn't he great right here? So if I saw Noel and I went, Perfect love, perfect love, perfect love. Come here, Noel. I love you, right? You know I love you, right? Perfect love, perfect love. 
Now, I know you're looking at me and go, man, that's cold-blooded. That's messed up. I know even Noel's like that, too. Like, dang, pastor. I think I'm going to go to another church. But what if there was a train coming his way and he didn't see it? What if he didn't see it? What if there was a car coming his way and he didn't see it? Perfect love is not, hey, hey, um, just want you to know that there's a, a, a train. It's about to, well, amen. Nah, perfect love. Get out the way. Move. Get out of there. You don't belong there. It doesn't have time to read, well, the reasoning of this, and, and this is why we do that. No. Perfect love. Cast out. This happened to me. This exactly happened to me when I was living in Connecticut. We were walking up and down the boulevard, and they were having, it was during the Oscar De La Hoya Trinidad fight, if you guys remember that. And all the Puerto Ricans are going crazy. Ah, everybody up and down. They blocked all the streets. And we're walking down the street, and I'll never forget, I was walking down, and I looked this way, and then as soon as I turned to my left, a friend of mine pushed me hard. Boom! And went, Whoa! And right as I turned, whoom, the car hit me on this side of the leg. Hit me hard. Whoa! I felt like my leg was going to break. Had he not pushed me, both my legs would have broke. I mean, think that's cold-blooded. That's messed up. Why would you push him? Why would you say that? Love your enemy? Well, that, that is messed up. Don't do that. Perfect love. Cast out. Thank you, Noel. Give him a hand. Amen. Go ahead, here you go. See, I didn't, I didn't want that to break right there. I didn't want that to break. See, I understand right now that many of us have gotten to a certain emotion of anger. Man, I'm messed I'm mad. This is horrible. How could this happen? Why is this happening? Why is this taking place? And I want you to know something. If you are letting anger control you, you'll never be able to cast out anything. You won't. You could try. And for those of you on that social network, because I want you to know something. If you are reading more of Facebook than you are the good book, you're reading the wrong book. You're reading the wrong book. Man, them posts, all they do is incite anger. You ever notice that? No, I want to be right. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. And they go on for hours and hours. Like, oh my gosh. They're just spewing, like, weirdness. A lot of it is hatred. See, I understand that I get my values and my standards from the word of God. I'm not here to try to tell you to, well, this is right and this is right. No, no, no. Perfect love cast out all. I'm not scared to tell you this is the truth. You don't have to like the truth. It's just, it's the truth. And you can say, well, you heard it. Well, that's fine. I'm not going to get angry. There's no need for me to get angry. I, 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 I have no need to get angry. The Bible says, even in your anger, do not sin. So if you are getting angry, that's fine. But just don't let your anger control you. Don't let it control you. Matter of fact, scientists have found that when you get angry, you lose 25% of your thinking. You lose 25% of your thinking. You know what they say? They say retardation is at 70 that's what they say. Retardation is at 70. So l let's just do the math real quick. If you're angry and you lose 25%, you are that much closer to retardation. That's what you are. That's the truth. That's what they say. That you, in other words, and what they're saying is retardation is not saying, oh, you're mentally, you're stupid. No, 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 no. They're saying you cannot make a rational decision if you are not getting this in your spirit. You can't. It's impossible. The mob mentality. I'm hurt. You're hurt. This hurt. We're all hurt. Yeah. And it comes together, and it's built on anger. See, everybody deals with anger. Even God had to, has anger. In Psalms chapter 30, verse 5, it says, For his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. See, even God gets passionately indignant about certain things. But listen to this. In Matthew chapter 18, and this is where I close, verse 34, 
And 35, it says, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Then it says this in verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. See, what we're dealing with right now in America is not a skin issue. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. If you were here a couple of uh, months ago, I spoke a message a little bit on forgiveness. And I shared with you, oh, it touched me so deeply. <sighs> touched me so deeply. Because honestly, I don't know how I would react. I really don't. I know what I should do. I know what the Bible says to do. But to actually do it, oh, I'll be honest with you, it's difficult. It's very difficult. And I showed you the video a while ago of the young man. Uh, if you remember, he went into a church and he shot up the place. You guys remember that? I want to say it was in Charleston. Remember? And it was a young, young Caucasian, white boy, white man, went into a black church. He said, oh, it was racist. It was racist. If you listen to those people who spoke to that young man, it was not a racial issue at all. At all. That touched me. It touched me deeply. I, I believe there was nine people that got killed, right? I may be wrong, but it's somewhere around there. For the nine people that got killed in Carolina, South Carolina, there was a representative that was able to speak on the deceased behalf to the young man. You guys remember that? One representative could speak. It could be a brother, a sister, a, bro uh, a dad, and many of them were. They were all relatives. And one by one, oh, you don't see their faces. You don't see any of their faces. You only hear their voices. But you see the face of the young man who's on, they have him in the court. They do it on television. You know, they have him in another room. And one by one, they get behind the podium, and they say his name. His name slips my mind at the moment, but they say his name. And one by one, they each take about a minute to two minutes sharing and saying, you killed my brother, but I forgive you. Oh, gosh. Think about that. Some of you, you weren't even in Dallas, and yet you're angry. That's not your brother. That cop is not your, your brother. Sterling, that's not your brother, yet you're still. Imagine the guys who that was their actual family. That was actually them. If anybody, right, let's be honest, in human nature, don't we feel like if, if we were to see those people and say, hey, you're mad at him, right? And if they go, yeah, you would go, yeah, I'm right there with you. I would be mad too. You killed my son. Kill my daughter, kill my mom, my dad. It would get you angry. But the Bible says the complete opposite. Well, I want to do this. Well, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to show everybody. Jesus took his disciples and says, listen, before you do all that, we're the Jews and we're pure and we have it all together stuff. Because I know you think like that. I know you think you're the righteous ones. I'm going to show you. Come here. There's a Samaritan woman right here. She lives in a town of drunkards, and she has been married five times over. You're not only going to look at her down because she's a Samaritan, you're looking down on her because she's a woman. That's a whole nother message right there with the Jews. Whole nother one. And he says, see this woman? This is the kind of woman that you got to interact with. This is the kind of woman that you got to show love to. So, no, no, no. But if what happens if the other Jews find out about it? So what? I'm not scared. Are you? Well, what happens if they find out it? I'm not afraid. Are you? Perfect love cast out all fear. See, somebody once said, the more anger towards the past you carry in your heart, the less capable you are of loving in the present. Somebody said, for every minute that you're angry, you lose 60 seconds of happiness. The anger that has come upon our nation 
as he comes to the piano here this morning. The anger that has come upon our nation that is wanting to incite violence. No matter your perspective on your presidential candidate, no matter your perspective on which side you stand on for this or for that, and I, well, I believe this, and I believe that. Well, if they would have did this, and the, and the cop did this, well, the cop shouldn't have did that, and the cop didn't do this. And so we look at our present, and we try to say, well, this is how we're going to fix it. And God says, I'm, I've already showed you how to fix it. It's tougher. My way is tougher. It's harder. It's a difficult one. It's a hard one. But you need to learn how to love even the one who hates you, love the one who despises you. Love the one who just looks at you and just judges you just on your look. You got to love them. You can be mad at me all you want. This is something right here. Something right here. I want to end with this. I'm a reader of history. I love history. You could tell in my sermons, I talk a lot about history. When I was in high school, I read this. And I want to read it to you here this morning. This is how I end. I'll close with this. It's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech. I'm not going to read the whole thing because in its entirety, it's very, very long. Very powerful, though. On your own, you could read it. But I like the way it ends. That's why I'm going to give you from the middle. Dr. Martin Luther King, August 28, 1963, at the Lincoln Memorial. A man of faith and a man of courage. Perfect love. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friends. And even so, we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow. I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out to the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, or by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama, with its vicious racists, with its governor having its lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama, li little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers, I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places shall be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight. Mm. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. There is hope. And that is the faith that I go back to the south with, with this faith that we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. With this faith that we will be able to transform the jangly discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith that we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, and stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. And this will be the day, this will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with the new meaning, my country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. 
And so let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-caped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from the Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from the Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and every molehill of Mississippi. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, and when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day of all, when all God's children, black and white, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the, world, in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Powerful words that, honestly, I had no understanding to when I was in high school. But God since has been perfecting me. I've been growing, been learning, been understanding what love really is. See, when I was 16, I thought of love a certain way. I would have never thought like that. I would have thought, man, that's a great speech. It's powerful, good stuff. It's pretty good. That Martin Luther guy, that's powerful. That's how I thought when I was 16. But the Bible says, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I went through some experiences, when I've had some things done to me, when people have been hating on me, people haven't liked everything I've done. They hate me for my skin. They hate me because I can't do this. They hate me because I can't speak that, because I can't go there. And they tell me this. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. This man right here spoke some powerful words in a powerful era of when there was a time where it was kind of seeming like this past week. Is it not? Where that's all the stuff that you're hearing. That's how they lived every day. Every day. Listen, we don't have to live like that. We don't have to live in fear. That's not what God has given us. God did not give us a spirit of fear. But God has given us this power, this love, and a new way of thinking. I want to challenge you here today. Let this moment be an opportunity to share the light like never before. Speak to those who you've never spoken to. Go to your Samaria if you are white. Go to your Samaria if you're black. Go to your Samaria if you're Filipino. Go to your Samaria if you're Mexican. Go to your Samaria if you're El Salvadorian, if you're Canadian, if you're French. See, because it's real easy to just, well, I'm just going to stick here, and we're good to go. Now, for those of you who say, well, I have a lot of different nationalities as friends. Okay, but you're getting comfortable in that area, and you're good. Jesus said, listen, listen, I know you're good, but I need to take you down to a place where it, it could even incite to, well, I don't get along with this girl. Well, I don't get along with this guy. I don't get along with him. Jesus says, I don't care what you get along with or what you feel. You are going to learn how to love the unlovable. You are going to learn how to hug the unhuggable. You are going to learn and to discern the signs of the time. Listen to me, Victory Outreach, Heart of the Bay. I know where we're at, and I understand how the Bay Area works. I've lived here, and I understand it, and it could very easily, that could be us. Very easily, that stuff could happen here, but it is up to us as Christians. It is up to us and men and women of God to say, listen, I know that there could be an anger, a spirit of anger, a spirit of violence, but I want to go into that place, and I need to cast out all fear. I know that that may be a gang member. I know that there may be drugs there. I know that there may be violence there, but I need to go down there and share and cast out all fear with the spirit of love. Spirit of love. Right now these kids are killing each other. They don't even care what race they are. They're the same race. We don't really have that much racial issues here. We just have sin issues here. 
That's what we got. We got Mexicans killing Mexicans, blacks killing blacks, whites killing whites. Uh, that race stuff. We've got idiot stuff. That's what we've got. We got dumb stuff, sin stuff. And I'm sure they would have their perspective if it was Dallas. Well, I'm from the Bay. I understand it. We do stupid stuff over dumb things. I've seen people shoot people that are family over because of what someone else said. Even though that's my cousin, that's my uncle, I've seen it. Kill him. What's wrong with you? Doesn't that get you mad? If it doesn't get you mad, then just keep doing what you're doing. Fine. Just go to work, clock in, clock out. That's it. But it should get you indignated. With, man, what is going on here? I hate doing these funerals where these young men and young women are coming and they got to come to the funeral and look over their shoulder at a funeral. Gosh, that gets me. When I did my cousin's funeral, he was only 20 years old. He jumped 90 feet to his death because of a drug bust from the gangs. He was a big-time gangster over there in Santa Paula. I got to go to his funeral. You got to wonder, man, is the rival gang going to come and shoot up the place? It gets you. It indignates you. And then I feel for those of you that a pain I've never felt before, Aziza, we talked the other day. Man, I just, I'm praying for you. Honestly, I am. A mother's pain is like no other. See, some of you right now are sitting next to somebody that needs your love. They need your love. You might have somebody that you might go to and say, hey, brother, I want to pray for you. No, don't pray for me. Well, listen, let me just, no, I don't want you here. But perfect love says, no, I'm going to pray for you. Even though you don't want me here, I love you. I love you. Listen to me. These streets of Oakland need love. They need love. They need love. You go up and down these streets, man. Up and down these streets. If you go to Oakland, some of you even live in Oakland, right? You, you tell me. You can go there and you can feel the oppression, right? You can feel it. You just drive down and you go, am I supposed to go down this street? Or, oh, man, I think I'm on the wrong street. And you feel it. You just feel it. Because they're living in fear. That's where they're at. They're behind the fence. Who's that? Who's that? Okay, never mind. Because of their living in fear, they're oppressing you. See, it's not this person against that person. It's the oppressor against the oppressed. And the oppressed could be any color. Any color. And until you and I understand that, that we have been set free you are going to feel like the oppressed. He who the sun sets is free indeed. And let the redeemed of the Lord cast out all fear. I want to challenge some of you this week. This was not an evangelistic message, but this is an evangelistic message. This is an evangelistic message. Don't listen and, and come to it, Pastor, man, that was a good word. The only way I'm going to know if it's a good word is if you're able to apply it. That's the only way I'm going to know if it's a good word. Because I know a lot of right away, oh, Pastor, that was powerful. Oh, that was good. Okay, let's see how powerful it was. I'm not trying to talk to your body. I'm trying to talk to your spirit. Because if you're sick and tired of seeing all this stuff on the news, then read the good news and do the good news. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. Me and Eric, we just had a quick conversation at the fellowship hall just the other day, and we were talking about certain things and this and that. And, you know, there, it, we use that word incite because one thing happens and it incites violence. What do we do? We got to pray. We got to get in there. We got to go to Dakota. That's where we got to go. We can't just sit back and go, man, they're killing each other. Let's just let them kill each other. No. That's not, 
those that are free, that's not our job. Our job is not to be an audience of the oppressed. Are you hearing me? That's not our job. Let that be the voice of those trying to scream out as much as they want to do. Let them scream. We don't scream. We do. We cast out. We cast out. That is our responsibility. We go into the places. Now, listen, this is very important because what you do is not going to be on the news. You're not going to get any credit for it. Matter of fact, the Bible says if you do want credit, you get your reward here on earth and you can have it. But this is where moth and rust destroy. You can have your reward, get your certificate. That's fine. But when you do something, you do it unto God where moth and rust cannot destroy. Rust cannot destroy. And he will give you your heavenly reward that will never perish. So I want to challenge you. Now, there are many of you, and I can go around, talk about you. Let me talk about you. I like to talk about and celebrate with our people. Let me talk about you. You don't have to talk about you. I won't talk about me. I don't want to do that. I don't want that reward. But some of you, you're getting in there, and I want to challenge you. Keep digging in. Keep digging in. Go to the places. This is how you'll know. If you go up to them and say, can I pray for you? And if they say no, that's where you'll know, okay, this is where I need to be. That's where I need to be. Well, we don't associate with Samaritans. Yeah, that's fine. Get over here. Sit down. Get with the Samaritans. You're supposed to preach it to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Samaria was very strategic. We got Samaria right now. Samaria could be your job. Samaria could be your neighbor. I don't know about you, but I got some neighbors. They've told us they hate God. They've told us with their lips. We invited them. Nah. They used other expletives. They just told us. All right. Believe me, it doesn't mean for us. Okay, well, let them go. No. Yeah, pray for these guys. I pray for them, all you leaders that were at my house. You know what I'm talking about, right? Boom. I was having a meeting at my house. My neighbor came over. He didn't knock on the door politely. He's like, excuse me, can you keep it down? You know what he did? He came over to my house with his foot. Boom, boom. Shut up. Boom, boom. He did it twice. He wanted to yell at me. That's Toby was there. He looked like he was going to fight me, huh? That's crazy, huh? He did. I walked outside, and he came right up to me. He goes, you know what? I was like, I don't know what. See, right away, I'm athletic, so I'm like, dude, you're not going to catch me. Come on, bro. Ain't going to happen. But then, no, 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 that's the body talking. Spirit, no, 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 he needs love right now. This man needs love. You know that I've been shot at? I have been handcuffed? I have been spit on all for the gospel? See, some of you have the testimony of when you weren't with Christ. My testimony is with Christ. I got shot at a bunch of times. Chicago, they came up to me. We were walking up the stairs. I don't know if any of you remember the Cabrini Greens. You guys remember the Cabrini Greens? There was a TV show called uh, uh, Good Times. You guys remember Good Times? Good Times, anytime. Uh, JJ, right? JJ? That was in the Cabrini Greens from Chicago. We went there. We walked up the stairs. Guy pulls out a gun. He's like, oh! Say some other. And, I, and right away, I was in the front. And there was like 12 people behind me. I was the leader. And he pulls out a gun. Oh, like he was about ready to shoot us. And the girl goes, ah, there was a girl right there. And the guy with the mask, he had the drugs right there in his, in, in his pocket. They put the drugs in Snickers. So when they sell them to kids, it looks like candy. That's how they would do it. They sell them like that. Oh, and I go, hey, right away. Perfect love. I went right up to, hey, we're from church. He could have shot me. He actually almost did. I was about 19. And he goes, oh, man, don't you ever do that again. I almost killed you. I go, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. And in my mind, I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. 
in my heart. Thank you, Lord. Because they had just, I didn't know, just two hours before, they had shot a cop. And for those of you that have shot a gun, you know that when you shoot, for the next couple hours, you're, right? Sensitive. Sensitive. Who are you? So, there we were. This stuff has happened, and I'm sure it's going to happen some more. Not everybody's going to like me. Not everybody's going to like you. Perfect love doesn't ask, hey, uh, so you like me, right? You're okay with this, right? No. Nikki Cruz beat David Wilkerson to a pulp. He doesn't share it, but I will. In, in the movie, he slaps him. Crossing the switchblade. Remember that? He's like, get out of here, preacher. True story. He opened the door, saw it was David Wilkerson, started beating him to a pulp. He beat him so bad, went to the hospital. Back in 1962, it was 60. Beat him to a pulp. Boom, boom. Deborah Wilkerson was a preacher. Nikki Cruz was the gang member. Beat him to a pulp. But let's be honest. If it was us, like, nah, I'm, I gotta stick up for mine. Nah, man, I'm, I'm not no punk. Right? That's her mentality. Nah, no way. David Wilkerson got beat down, cleaned up, and went right back to the same guy who beat him. Went right back. Listen to me, Victory Outreach. What God has called us to do is not easy. What God has called us to do is not a, a simple one. It's not an easy task, but it's called the Great Commission, not the Easy Commission. It is something that God has separated us and called us to do. And we as Victory Average Heart of the Bay, God has called us to go into the places where people may not like, but people are living in fear. And the only way that fear is going to get out of there is if there's men and women that say, God has called me to this city. God has called me to this place. God has called me to this community. This is God's city. Perfect love casts out all fear. Stand to your feet here this morning.